Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning comes from John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The condemnation of the gospel is that God sent his son into the world, and we did not recognize him or receive him. Ignorance is no excuse. The fact that we did not recognize him is our own folly. We are creatures created by a creator. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that we are without excuse because God's evidence is all around us. Even his power and his Godhead are evident in the creation. So we owe him our praise and gratitude. Jesus has come. We just celebrated this at Christmas. We know he has come. He is here, and as Christians, we affirm that he has risen from the dead and that he has all authority in heaven and earth. Yet what I would like us to think about as we consider this text as a call to confession is in what ways do we still close our eyes to Jesus' rule in our lives? Where are we rejecting him when we should be receiving him? Are there areas where we are refusing to submit ourselves to his lordship? Now there is a litmus test. A test in which you can find out whether you are submitting to him or not. Paul tells us in Romans 1 also that the fallout of rejecting God is replacing him with other false gods and idols. And God judges this false worship and gives us over to our insanity. We become vain, arrogant, and futile in our thoughts, and we start to act on our own passions and lusts. And the result is all manner of wickedness, evil, and sin. So this is the test. Where there is sin, there is folly and rejection of Christ. And this is the answer. Receive Jesus. Go to his word. Define sin biblically. Then identify your idols, the things that you put before Jesus in any area of your life. These things can be very subtle. Things like idolizing good things, things that are good things, that are blessings from God. Idolizing your family. Or idolizing comfort. Or even your society, your social community. But Jesus is Lord of everything, and he is the Lord of those things too. And if you put these things in a wrong perspective or in, a, in an improper order, you are sinning. So hold your life up against the revelation of Scripture, and then where you find sin, confess it and repent it. Repent of it, and God is good and will forgive you for it. Which reminds us of our need to confess. Thank you. 
today is the first Sunday of Christmas. So as you know, the church calendar starts with Advent, and it's the season in which we start the year building the anticipation for Christmas. And then Christmas proper, what we celebrated this, this week, Thursday, December 25th, is the first feast day of the, church, of the Christian church calendar, Christian church year. And it is fitting and right that Christmas is our first feast, because Christmas is the beginning of our salvation. Jesus has been revealed to us as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And therefore his birth is the beginning of our hope, because our salvation is in him, it's in Jesus Christ. Every year we remember this in this season. But as seasons do, this season, like our calendar year, draws to a close. And as it does so, we are going to be considering the words of Simeon, words of departure and parting, words which Simeon said when he met Jesus at the end of his season on earth. But these words are words of faith. So as we read through them, let us speak the words of Simeon with him. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The title of our message this morning is Christmas Nunc Dimittis. Now, Nunc Dimittis is two Latin words, and it's the first two Latin words of the, the Latin version of this text. And this is a famous passage and is a regular part of worship in many different churches around the world. Usually it's used as a closing or a departing hymn, and for obvious reasons. Lord, now we depart in peace. But today we're going to consider the text in its relation to time, present, past, and future. And the reason we're going to do this is that the peace that is the focus of this text is immediately present. It's founded on truths from the past, and it has an eye for the promises of the future. This is the peace that comes from the God who is, the God who was, and the God who ever shall be. And it is a peace that passes understanding. So let's turn to our text, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. So we start with something that I've already mentioned, I've already alluded to it. Simeon's first words bring to light the fact, uh, the fact of his imminent departure. If we read the larger context of the passage, like we did in our scripture um, uh, passage this morning, we read that Simeon was a just and devout man from Jerusalem whose life was characterized by waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was a holy waiting. He was, he was filled with the Spirit of God, waiting for the deliverance that God promised to Israel. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Lord's Christ is... uh, You should mostly know this, but for the little ones, if you don't know this, the word Christ in Greek is the translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah, which was the promised Redeemer, the promised Savior that would come to deliver the people of Israel. So this is God's Messiah. And he had been promised, Simeon had been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Messiah. And the impression we get of Simeon then is of an old man, ready, ready to die, but looking forward and looking for the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. His, his words even indicate his readiness to part, to depart. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. That's the first thing he has to say to Jesus and to his parents. Finally, I can go. Now, departure is hard. When we think of the departed, we, we think of death. We've had deaths within our congregation's family in the last few years, and even in the last couple weeks. My grandfather passed away two weeks ago. Brian's grandmother passed away this week. Um, Death is hard. Death is, is difficult, because death is a consequence of sin. And yet, here we see Simeon ready to go in peace. And this brings to us a question about change. Change is hard. Life is full of cycles, and and because life is full of cycles, it means that departing is a part of life. And the only thing that is constant in this life is change. The only thing that never stops, that, that never stops being the same is that everything's going to change. The Bible certainly affirms the fact that change is a constant in our life. You can look at the lives of every individual story recounted in Scripture, and you'll see it filled with change. Adam created perfect. They sinned. They were kicked out of the garden. Eventually he died. Lots of change there. Noah, here he was, living on the earth, and God comes and tells him, look, there's going to be a flood. And everything he knew was completely erased. And God saved the world through him, saved mankind through him. Abraham's life took drastic changes. He had to leave Ur and travel as a wanderer through the wilderness until he ended up in Canaan. Moses, his life was full of change. Born a Hebrew, raised an Egyptian, left the palace, lived in the desert with a chief, became the leader of the Israelites. Just all kinds of change. David's, David's fortunes shifted back and forth. All the kings, all the prophets, even even Jesus' life was filled with change. The definition of life is movement. It's change. When you stop moving, you're dead. That's when it's that's when you're that's when you're done. That's when you stop changing. The issue in all of this is how do you deal with the change? Does change cause you to fear? Does change cause anxiety? Or can you have peace in the midst of the uncertainty? God's word tells us that we can have peace. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. 
In fact, the Bible tells us that God governs the fates of all mankind and He determines the nature of our lives and the end of them. The stories of Scripture aren't given to us to depict change per se or in itself. That's not why the Bible tells us all these stories about people whose lives change. Change is neither good nor bad, necessarily. It's, it depends. Change is just a fact of life. The stories of Scripture are given for us to depict faith and its effect on the change. That's a, that's a fact of life. So when we read the stories of Scripture, what we are called to recognize is who are the faithful and what is God doing in their lives. Noah's faith saved him and mankind. Abraham's faith brought him out of Ur and enabled him to obey God's command when he commanded him to sacrifice Isaac. He said, if you're telling me to do it, Lord, I will do it. He trusted that God could raise him from the dead. And if you want to go and talk about stories of change and stories of faith in the Bible, you can go on and on and on, because all of the stories of, of the great heroes of faith are stories of change, and how faith impacted their lives and brought salvation and peace to God's people. But the lack of faith and the consequences of that are also clearly depicted in Scripture. And they give us stories like the fall of Pharaoh and King Saul, or the exile of Israel and Judah. The Scriptures promised to God's people peace in all of this change though. There is peace for the righteous. There's peace for the upright. There's peace for those who walk in wisdom and faith. And we see these promises in the promises of the gospel given to Adam and Eve when they sinned. We get the, the first gospel when he, God tells Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, of the seed of the serpent. And we see the gospel continually proclaimed throughout the covenantal promises in the Old Testament. Through each of its dispensations, through, through Noah and through Abraham and through Isaac and Jacob. And then on the, all the way down through Moses and all the way up to Jesus Christ. We see this faithful proclamation of God setting apart his people and promising of a, delivery, a deliverer. The sacrificial system was a type of the atonement. It was a type of the peace that God would send. The Israelite kingdom and the peace of David's and Solomon's kingdoms were a type of the rule that God would give. The promises of the prophets that God would send a rod of Jesse, a root of David, a king to set on his throne, and that he would establish righteousness and justice over the face of the whole earth were the peace that Simeon was looking for and waiting for. And that peace was to be met in a man. It was to be met in a person. It was to be met in the Messiah, the prophet, priest, king, the promised ruler who would liberate God's, God's people, Israel, and rule the world in perfect holiness for all eternity. So when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate what the angels announced to men. Peace on earth. On the church calendar, Christmas begins the year in the peace of Christ. 
And so what Simeon spent his whole life waiting for and yearning for, we start each year with. We rest in the peace of God. We rest in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have with our Lord. So as 2014 draws to a close, and as we go into 2015, we look out and we give thanks to God for the peace that He has given to us, that we may have a relationship with Him, that we can have a place to go and, and where our sins can be dealt with, that we can go to the cross of Jesus Christ and proclaim our faith and allegiance to Him. This peace has a solid foundation. We ground our peace on what I talked about at our Christmas Eve service, the facts of history, the truth, the reality that God has sent His Son, that God has done something great in the past, before the face of all peoples. And we move to our next verse in our text. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Simeon declares that he has seen what God has done. Now our God is a God who sends salvation. And we can say this because he is a God who has sent salvation, past tense. We say that we believe. We say that we have peace. But why? Well, look what God did. Look, look what happened in the past. Jesus reveals God to us. In John chapter 1, we read that God sent His Son and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. God sent His Son. Again, in John chapter 12, we read, He who believes in Me, believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And he who sees Me, sees Him who sent Me. And again, in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. So Jesus reveals God to us. But more than that, the God that Jesus reveals to us is the God who saves. The God who loves us. And this is in that famous passage from John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is why Simeon could say that he had seen the salvation of God. God is faithful to keep the promises that He makes. God is trustworthy. Simeon believed and he waited on the Lord. And God blessed him with his spirit, and God blessed him with a vision. He actually got to meet the baby Jesus. And God didn't do all of this in a corner. Jesus had a public ministry. He spoke to the people. We've, we've been reading his words in the, in, the, in the book of John. But we see this further evidence in, in the statements of faith that Paul gives. He gives us one in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for I delivered to you all, to you first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, 
That's the, the Cephas is Peter, and then the rest of the apostles. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So we're getting a first-hand eyewitness account of Jesus, telling us who he was, and what he said, and what he did, what he revealed to us about God. And Paul didn't just preach this to the, to the Corinthians. He also declared this publicly to, to, to the public rulers of, the, of his day. And we see this in Acts 26, in his defense before Agrippa. And it's a long passage, and he gives us a lot of historical information in that passage, where he's talking about why he believes what he believes, and why he's doing what he's doing. But in the end, Festus accuses Paul of madness. He says, Paul, you're going mad with too much learning. And Paul says... This, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. And he's talking about Agrippa, who was in the family of Herod, and he was the king of, of, of the Jews, and Paul was giving a defense before him. And, Herod, and, and, and Agrippa was familiar with all of these events that had taken, that had taken place. He knows all these things, and for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. Jesus didn't hide under a rock. He didn't, he didn't bury the revelation that he came to give. He proclaimed it. He declared it. He taught it, and he told his disciples to go and, and teach it and spread it. So Christmas then observes and proclaims what God has done. We, we, Christmas starts the year with peace, and this peace is founded on declaring what God has done. God has sent his salvation, born of a virgin in a stable in the year 5 BC, in Bethlehem. This is a firm foundation for peace. And this Christmas, this declaration of what God has done is what we are called to do as we go forward. To proclaim from the rooftops. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Go, speak the truth. Declare that this God has sent his salvation to the earth. That he has made a way. He's, Jesus is the way. God has opened the pathway for us to be in peace and relationship with Him. To understand and know what righteousness and justice and truth are. For us to stand before a holy God and not be utterly consumed. And this salvation, this peace, and this declaration of what God has done changes the future. Luke 2, verse 32. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. It's the last sentence that Simeon gives us. Jesus is a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' work is ongoing work. It's something that is happening as we speak and it will continue to happen until it's done. In Jesus Christ, God unites all peoples together. 
Jesus Christ is the true man, the ideal man. God is not narrow. He's not some obscure Jewish deity that they worshipped thousands of years ago. No, that is not who God is. God is the God who created the heavens and the earth, and he's the God who upholds and sustains the heavens and the earth. Through Jesus, in Jesus, it's all done. He sent Jesus to reveal himself to us. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. The world is the darkness. The world doesn't comprehend. The world doesn't understand. God says, let me illumine it for you. This is who I am. This is what I do. And this is where we are all going. All people owe their praise and gratitude to Jesus Christ. And to God the Father. Because as Paul tells us in Romans 1, He made us. And His invisible attributes are clearly evident in the creation that He made. Even his Godhead and power. So we owe him his, our praise and gratitude. And it's all peoples. It's not just the Israelites. Moreover, God is over the nations. And he cares about them. This is evident in many places in scripture. But I wanted to bring up Jonah, chapter 3. God sends Jonah to the Ninevites. And Jonah's angry that God's going to show mercy to them. And the Ninevites were Assyrians. They were bad folks. They were not, not believers. They deserved God's just, just punishment. And Jonah did not want to declare God's coming wrath because he knew if they repented, God would be, be merciful. But God cares about all nations. He says, and he gives him an example. He has this plant grow up behind Jonah overnight and gives him shade in the day. And Jonah relishes the shade. And the next day, God sends a worm to destroy the plant, and Jonah, you know, he, he, he is angry at God that the plant was destroyed, and that he has to suffer in this dry and miserable heat and wind. And God said, look, you're showing pity on this plant. But you didn't even make it grow. And should I not show mercy to this entire people who I, I built up and put together. God cares about the nations. And this is very clear when we get into the New Testament. And the gospel goes from Jerusalem outward to every nation under heaven and earth. Jesus is, tells us in the great, the great Commission, go into all the world, declaring what I have taught you to the nations. Paul's gospel is, is, is one that just goes out. He goes, wherever he goes, he goes first to, the, to, to God's chosen people, to the Israelites, and when they reject it, he goes to whoever's there. And we get a clear uh, declaration of his gospel for the Gentiles in, in, his, in, his, in, his, uh, in his sermon that we have in Acts chapter 17, where Paul's preaching to the Areopagus in Athens. I mean, is it, what better picture is there of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? This is the, you know, the, the, the brain tr trust of, of the culture. You know, Rome was, was the political center. The Greeks were the, the cultural center. 
So cultured Romans would learn Greek, and they would learn Greek culture. And so he goes to the, the, the cultural center, and he goes to the Areopagus, where all the, the great ideas were brought up and discussed and debated. And he proclaims the gospel. He doesn't, he doesn't proclaim the gospel of some uh, backwater deity from some third world place that, oh, everybody else needs to, to follow. He proclaims the God of heaven and earth. Says, you don't even know who he is, but you are living at his will and at his mercy. You, you, in whom you live, move, and have your, your being. That's the God who I'm speaking of. Jesus is the light that brings revelation to the Gentiles. In Acts 17, he's, Paul says, He has made from one blood every nation of men. It's, you can't talk about Greeks and, uh, and Africans and separate them out. No, they're all from one blood. He's determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for Him and find Him. He's God. And He's, and he's, he's the God of everything. And, and this is what he tells us. He says, and I'm skipping a few verses. He says, don't worship him, him in the idols. These times of ignorance, God overlooked. But here's the gospel. God now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's the gospel. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And then he's proved this by raising him from the dead. This is something that should wake up everybody's attention. What? Somebody was raised from the dead? Yes, that's the gospel. That's why we celebrate Easter in the church calendar. Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the proof that he was God. And it's historical fact, just like Christmas. So Jesus is the glory of Israel. And in him is and will be peace. In Christ, all barriers are broken down. All barriers to fellowship, all barriers to peace are eliminated. The great passage of this, for this is Galatians chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Everything's in Christ. All of salvation, all of life is in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither, and here he lists the great divisions. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Jesus Christ's work is ongoing, and that means that Christmas has an eye for the future. Christmas anticipates the light and revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of Jesus Christ, as should we. That's what we should be doing, anticipating the light and revelation of God to all nations and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.
the peace of God that is our hope, past, present, and future. God has sent his salvation. He has called us to himself with the love of a father in Jesus. He has atoned for our sin, and he has given us the peace that passes understanding, that we might be in relationship with him, that we might speak directly to him. The veil has been torn asunder. The gap has been closed. In Christ, we receive the Father and his Spirit. In Christ, we have faith, hope, and love. In Christ, we are one. And this meal is a sign of that unity with Christ. As this loaf is one, so is the body of Christ. We all, being many parts, are being knitted together into a masterful and glorious temple of our Lord, because we all partake of Him. He is our bond of unity and our source of life. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.